Welcome back to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Rogers. And since January 1st, 2020, we've been moving around the country to explore faith at work in Canadian cities. I hope that you find our content inspiring as you discover just how many, many people there are in our urban centers doing some truly inspiring things. Hey, you can help us grow uh, by going to Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Uh, Did you know that uh, when you leave reviews on podcasts that uh, the algorithms work in such a way that it raises the visibility of that podcast in people's searches? And uh, I don't know of... uh, too many podcasts in Canada that specifically focus on urban ministry. So you can help us increase that platform. It's my hope that as we do these podcasts, there will be listeners that will connect with our guests and maybe get inspired to engage in and support urban ministry in their cities. I know that for myself, my life was greatly uh, moved and and inspired by other Canadians doing gospel work in cities. And and my generation of urban workers uh, will eventually age out and I pray that there will be many young men and women in Canada that catch the vision to do great things in their time. The cities need Uh, Jesus. Well, as we promised, we're bringing you part two of my interview with Dr. Anthony Hutchison from Tyndale University, or Dr. Hutch, as some of his students call him. And uh, he's uh, quite a remarkable individual. If this is your first time listening, I'd suggest that you go back to the last episode, episode nine, and listen to part one of my interview uh, with uh, Tony. Uh, in fact, if you want to go back two episodes and catch my uh, catch the uh, session with uh, Olu Jegade, uh, they are part of this chapter in the podcast we're doing called Gangland Preachers. Tony Hutchison is literally in demand across the nation as a leading expert on gang psychology and intervention. Here's my conversation with him at the Mission Canada office in Mississauga. As of high school, um, you know, I was still being teased. I was still labeled. Yeah, you're still carrying around a lot of rejection, right? Yeah, Yeah. and and so basically what ended up happening, um, you know, people still made fun of me for my glasses and and the fact that I was not white and racism continued in school. and uh, and so finally one day I was, I was walking through a Canadian Tire, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a little. Uh, they had a display case where they basically had a twenty-two handgun. Hmm. A twenty-two. Twenty-two. Yeah. And it was there. And how old were you? Uh, I would have been about fourteen. About fourteen. Okay. Yeah. And I was able to steal it. Hmm. And. Um, I, I took it to metalwork. I was in grade nine at the time mm-hmm. at Caribou High School, and I modified it in to, shot class to, to shoot to shoot rounds to shoot bullets. Wow! And um, and um, and that was and then eventually I got another one, mm-hmm. 
And it was really funny because, you know, the kids were making fun of me one day. And I remember, uh, you know, I remember some kid was making fun. I think at that point, you know, again, drug dealing became, we started doing marijuana, mm -hmm. drug dealing around that age, and, mm -hmm. you know, um, and, uh, and that's how you make money. Yeah. So I had to make money. And, and, and I was afraid of getting beaten up, you know, people not taking me seriously. So the gun seemed to be an interesting uh, way of protecting it, but remember these kids were laughing it's at me. An interesting conversation starter. Yeah, yeah. and uh, some kids were laughing at me, and I, um, I remember I just uh, pulled out my gun, pointed at them, and they stopped laughing. Mm -hmm. And um, and and I realized that you know if, as long as I had this this thing, uh, I had power. Mm -hmm. And um, you know it got to the point where uh, you know sometimes you have to use it mm -hmm. to. Um, get a little bit of respect from somebody. Yeah. Um, you know, if you know, if, if you shot somebody and they died, it wasn't your fault, it was their fault. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, they shouldn't have teased you. Yeah. You know, um, you didn't sit there and you reached the point where you didn't, you weren't remorseful or sad about it. You, you know, these, it, these people brought this on themselves. They yeah. shouldn't have disrespected you or something. And, yeah. and you know, and, and I, but I guess at that point I, I was, I was pretty angry mm -hmm. about certain things in life. Um, even though my mom, it was healed, she didn't, eventually over time, my mom used to begin to focus more on the healing than the healer. Mm -hmm. That was the thing about my mom. Right, right. That was a big problem with her. She, yeah. and, she, and she'd always, and she kept, and so I think we have a testimony and we have to move beyond our testimony. Right, right. It's, our, our testimonies are really there for God, not for us. A, a sign of the kingdom is, is on the road of life. Yeah. But you don't say, okay, I'm going to live here at the sign. Mm -hmm. You follow the sign to where it's leading. Yeah. And yeah. so again, it was just part of my mom's, um, I guess, one of her own Achilles heels. But, but um, by fourteen, I was getting into in full fledged, um, we can call it a kind of gang activity. Some bad kids. Uh, mm -hmm. We were, you know, now like now they call it a gang. Yeah. You know, back then, look, we were a bunch of kids. We stole stuff. We sold it. Yeah. Uh, we dealt drugs. We came from the same neighborhood, same high school. Um, Semi-organized crime. Well, I had guns. Yeah. You know, you yeah. know, if there was a Korean store, you know, uh, we we could rob it. You know. Yeah. Um, you know, um, it was fun. You know, you point a gun at somebody and they they listen to you. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I get that kind of thing. But and you think you're tough. You think you're cool. Mm -hmm. And and we're doing a lot of really tough, cool, bad things. Yeah. But um, but then I liked a girl uh, in um, around Valentine's Day in grade nine. And, um, and uh, I um, decided to go to a local Woolco and steal some um, uh, nice presents for her. Mm -hmm. So I stole a Valentine's chocolate mm -hmm. uh, uh, in a heart. I stole some um, CDs because, you mm -hmm. know, music. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I stole a pair of girls' jeans. Mm -hmm. But, you know, now take into account, you know, if you're a bad kid, you know, you're, you're dealing drugs, you're, you know, you're, you're trying to I don't yeah. know, vandalize cars, yeah. you're robbing stores, you're doing other... Uh, I got busted for shoplifting. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and the crazy thing is, when they busted me, mm -hmm. I had a pair of women's jeans, or girls' jeans, strapped around my waist. <laughs> so, you know, it, it was just the antithesis of, 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 of getting arrested for something so non-cool. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and, um, and I remember I... I you had, had to maybe uh, embellish the story when you told the... To well, well yeah, you know, because, yeah. you, you know, you yeah. want to, like, you know, like I was taking... I was in a takedown or something. Yeah, but It wasn't yeah. that glorious, you yeah. know? And um, anyway, to make a long story short, I ended up getting a probation officer, and uh, he ended up being a Christian. Hmm. And, and, and he was a real kind guy. 
Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, he, yeah, I don't know if probation officers supposed to talk about Jesus and stuff, but this guy just started with me. Yeah. And so again, it's one of these things with God, with His signposts along my journey, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Um. So, I think. Uh, so basically. Yeah, I mean, it's it's basically God with His signposts along my journey. And, and so that was around 15. And so next thing I know, um, I got kicked out of the high school where I was mm-hmm. at after getting arrested. And, and my mom, um, I had gone to a Christian school earlier in my life. Mm-hmm. And my mom decided she's going to put me back in this Christian school. Mm-hmm. So I ended up there for the rest of grade 10. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or sorry, grade, uh, grade 9. Mm-hmm. And at, but at that point, you know, I, I was pretty tough. I, I, you know, I used to wear these, we had these fighting boots called Dayton's. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're black fighting motorcycle boots. Yeah. Uh, and we'd walk around with our jean jackets and stuff. And I remember the first time I, I went back to the Christian high school, there was about a hundred of us from grade eight to 12 in yeah. Vancouver Christian High School. And I remember the, one of the first things I did after going back to this, this Christian school was getting, picking a fight on, a, on the bus mm-hmm. with some real tough guys from a school called Windermere, which was about a thousand kids. Mm. But I was already pretty tough, and I thought yeah. I'd fight. And you see, uh, I think it was a day or two later, you basically see 800 kids from Windermere coming down, descending upon our little Christian school of 100 kids from 8 to 12 oh, for a rumble. Man. Oh, man. <laughs> and, and, I, and I remember being... You were in, an influence. I was an influence. And I, was, I remember... <laughs> Being in the in the bathroom, wrapping up my hands to fight, putting on yeah. my fighting boots, getting my chains ready. Yeah, you know, in the Christian schools, like, why did we let this kid in? And, and 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 you know, and there was just a flood of cop cars that just descended. You know, I remember, I know our our Christian principal and our Christian gym teacher and yeah. the school were all out there, and, and everybody's waiting, and they're waiting for me to come. Somehow on. turned the other cheek, didn't really enter the equation. At that well, point. It, it was pretty crazy, yeah. and you know, and I, I, I you know, and but you know what the one of the great you know i always say one of the greatest miracles in the world is when you get saved at maybe a young age and you just stay an amazing committed believer for the rest of your life yeah yeah that like that would be great and uh, the other the the perfect plan of salvation is you you come to faith in jesus and a bus hits and kills you five minutes later (laughs) yeah (laughs) right but you know but the third greatest miracle is I ended up going to the Christian school in grade nine, causing this incredible debacle, and they allowed me to come back for grade ten. That is a bit of a miracle, isn't it? <laughs> right. So, so then um, you uh, ended up uh, in a going to a to a youth group. Well, that, so 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 at the Christian school, I ended up meeting this kid in my class, and now take into account, I was still being a rebel rebelling yeah. and being a rebellion and one thing you do know about christian schools if we do know a lot of uh, there's some really bad kids in christian schools yeah that's true okay yeah. and so but and the thing about us is if you thought that your kid's going to become better by going to the private christian school not necessarily you need to be worse than yeah. the secular kids just yeah. to prove you're bad yeah well that yeah. was kind of the influence that happened with me mm-hmm. so i really went from bad to worse in a lot of ways mm-hmm and, and, um, and, but there was a guy, the kid in the Christian school and he, his name was Dean Gurr and, uh, he was a bodybuilder. He was always in the bodybuilding and he, mm-hmm. he wasn't, he wasn't massive at that point, but he was still into it. 
and we were being shaped by shows like the A Team and the Incredible Hulk and stuff like yeah. this. And I, he used to remind me of, of that. And and but but you know, I, and again, him and I we ended up going to the same school for grade eleven and twelve. We went to a secular school after for those years. But and but he he went to a, a church. Um, uh, I think it was called uh, Vancouver Christian Life Center or something like that. Mm -hmm. And the West End of Vancouver. Mm -hmm. the, and the West End is one of the most densely populated areas in in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, pro the most densely populated uh, area in Canada is probably. St. James Town uh, in the heart of um, downtown Toronto, right. uh, one of the most densely populated, most of the diverse. But uh, the West End was very densely populated in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And uh, Vancouver Christian Life was essentially there on Davy Street, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, and so, so Dean says, um, hey, you want to, um, you, you want to, um, I, I, I think at that time I still had one of my guns left. Mm -hmm. I, okay. And, uh, but I'd hit it. I'd mm -hmm. hit it. And, um, and um, so Dean says, hey, you want to come to my church? Because it was actually his mother and his aunt who were very devoutly uh, Christian. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a, um, uh, a pastor there at the time. Rob Powell was the pastor. Um, yeah, I know and, Rob. Yeah. And, um, and so um, they went to the youth group, and, and Dean said, there's really good-looking girls. You know, so I was like 16 at the time. Yeah. And, you know, that's a draw, you know, mm -hmm. for you know, a young, rebellious kid. And, and um, and so uh, when I even, got even a draw for meek and mild kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, I um, we showed up there, and 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 while we were there, I noticed the 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 the, the music. I love always love music. You know, yeah. I always love music. Music and, and television were things that raised me. And um, and I remember the the worship band was so phenomenal. Mm. And there was this guy playing guitar. The drummer was kill was killer, and and uh, and uh, and this guy playing the guitar was phenomenal. And I, the guy was just like, wow. And so I remember going up to this guy and wanted to talk to him about his guitar playing. And um, his name was Brian Turco, and um, I got to know him over time. And uh, you know, I understand my, my my thing with him is I want him to I wanted to figure out learn how to play guitar or something. Mm -hmm. I want to be cool like him, you know. Mm -hmm. But you know, the more I wanted to be cool from him, the more he talked to me about Jesus. <laughs> I want like I was just like I was getting really ticked because I was like you know like I'm not here to learn about Jesus man I want like I want to learn to play guitar I want to get girls and things like this and he, so he, I remember he said you know if you learn to play guitar and stuff you'll get girls but he said but you got to get Jesus first because you can't just have any girl you have to get the right girl you got to get the girl that want, God wants you to have and stuff and I, said, but I said dude you're creating you're making this complicated <laughs> and I remember I, I, I remember at one point you know I still had my gun and I I just said you know what? I want to shoot him in the head. You know, and, mm -hmm. I, and, I, and I remember being really mouthy at him, and, and uh, we were taking the bus one day, and I'm being, trying to, he was about um, eight years older than me, so I'd been about yeah. 15, so he's about 23 at the time. Yeah. And I remember being really mouthy at him and disrespectful, and I'm like, you know, I could shoot you. And he's like, yeah, you think you're so tough? He goes, yeah, if you shot me, I'd, I'd die, I'd go to heaven, I know where I'm going. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't want to do him any favors, so I'm not going <laughs> to shoot him. You know, so I'm like, okay, well, now what do I do? So I figured, you know, look, so he agreed that he said, look, I got a bunch of friends who are musicians. I live in this house of musicians. Why don't you, you know, if you don't behave yourself, yeah, you know, you can I'll come, come and I'll introduce you. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I didn't realize he had this, he lived with a house full of musicians who were playing with some really big names at the time. Mm -hmm. um, Paul Jans, um, Skywalk, yeah. um, you know, there was Derek, Derek Mason from Derek Mason All-Star Blues Band. There were, like, serious musicians, studio mm -hmm. musicians, very respected. Mm -hmm. I didn't know they were all born-again Christians. Wow. You know? Like, they had, they had started this little movement in this house. Mike Root was a drummer. He played for a, a band called Thor, and then he ended up playing, again, for Paul Jans and stuff. And, and I was like, and they began mentoring me. 
Mm-hmm. You know, they began spending time with this this rebellious sixteen year old kid, and I began learning songwriting, um, music production, music from these guys, and and um, and I began taking that back to high school. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, I met, started meeting other musicians in school and started jamming with them, and I and, and then people began respecting me for my musical abilities. Mm-hmm. First time I ever got respect or acceptance. Wow, you know, and and next thing you know, I'm sort creating bands with my friends, some of my friends, mm-hmm. friends at church, friends mm-hmm. outside of church. And I got really good. I got good on guitar. I got great, became a really decent little songwriter. Mm-hmm. And I'm being mentored by these guys. And, and all of a sudden, people are like, I was getting more affirmation and acknowledgement from my musical giftings yeah. than, um, than I've ever had in my life for anything. Wow. And it was, and of course, you know, in school, they began calling me Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, because I was because you were a brown, brown guy. Yeah, <laughs> playing yeah. the guitar, but but you know, but it was it was a lot better than the other nickname I was being called, which was Abdul. Oh yeah, you know, uh, you know, and uh, when I was in grade eight, grade you know, and so forth. So I so I ended up it was and but you know, part of the problem in our society is we don't take the giftings mm-hmm. of our a lot of young people and allow them to flourish. No, and I encountered a plethora of resistance. Mm-hmm. In terms of my musical development, mm-hmm. from the number one source, my mother. Mm. You know, why are you playing that stupid guitar? Yeah. You know, I mean, she didn't yeah. mind me getting some basic lessons, but she didn't want it consuming me and things like right. this. And 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 again, the only the only positive activity you had in your life, maybe at that point, mm-hmm. and and she was. Didn't didn't catch it. She, no, no. Yeah. Mind you, the church picked up on it. I began yeah. getting mentored by people in church from my music. Mm-hmm. They gave me opportunities to play music in church. I began playing yeah. in the back with Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. I grew up. I was still growing up in the PAOC, mm-hmm. and uh, I began playing at these. Um, I can't remember what they're called now, but these we'd have like two, three thousand kids show up. Yeah. At these now they don't have those at youth, youth uh, conventions. And youth conventions. Yeah, yeah. And my bands would yeah, play. Still, we still have those things going yeah. on. Yeah. And so I, I would be playing at those things with my mm-hmm. bands and stuff. And at that time, you know, I, I got into Christian music a little bit, you know, got shaped by Larry Norman and mm-hmm. and um, Randy Stonehill and these yeah. kind of guys. And, yeah. And so it was a it was a, it was very organic. I didn't have yeah. this like this powerful come to Jesus kind of thing. Yeah. But it was a transitional thing where I kind of, I just was influenced to be cool. And I remember um, just taking um, my guns one day and just throwing them into the uh, um, Fraser River, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, you'd always go, it was funny, it was back and forth thing. Every Sunday evening, we'd have these Sunday evening church services. We'd go up to the altar, ask for forgiveness, and then we'd, yeah. we'd become uh, little turds for the rest of the week. Yeah. Uh, and um, and uh, there was this cycle that went on, but but you know, but the influence of Brian Turco, and you know, the funny thing I got to say, Brian Turco, uh, at one point, he he was a, an incredible. First of all, he's an incredible singer, incredible guitar player, mm-hmm. and he, and he could play some other instruments as well, and um, and he and he actually was opening for a very famous Canadian band in the eighties by by the name of Saga, which yeah, were out of Hamilton, Saga, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and um, and 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 he was. We're going to a concert uh, where he's going to play, and he kind of there was a blackout moment for him, and he mm. ended up on his face on the pavement, lost consciousness or something, and and and, and he I guess he had some a come to Jesus experience, mm-hmm. and uh, he walked away from a flourishing music career, mm-hmm. 
and um, he had all the trappings um, of, of, of decadence and, and um, hedonism and stuff going along with that. But he gave it all to Jesus. Mm -hmm. and, and, he, and, and he just decided he wanted to become a volunteer youth worker mm -hmm. with Vancouver Christian Life in the West End. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. And Rob Powell became one of his mentors as his pastor and stuff. And so, but Turco lived in uh, East Vancouver mm -hmm. and uh, the church was in West Van, about 10 kilometers. Well, Brian never had any money for bus fare. The guy didn't have money to pay for socks. He would wear bare feet in his running shoes. Yeah. And, and he would jog hmm. from the East End to west to the West Vancouver to go to church to volunteer with us wow. ungrateful, rebellious little turds. Yeah. yeah. As yeah. a youth leader. Yeah. And you know, and then you know I told you you know how I, we wanted to treat him at one point. And 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 so the heart of this guy hmm. was phenomenal. And um, and and what the difference he made was that incredible. That triggered something in you. Didn't it, it did. It just it 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 showed me like this guy will give up his life for this kid. Yeah. Greater light, greater love have no man than they give up their life. Yeah. You know, God talking yeah. about Jesus, but here's Brian just modeling that mm -hmm. in a practical, lived way in in urban Vancouver. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, and, uh, and, and just, you know, and, and so I was like, wow, what this guy's doing for me, you know, and, 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 and again, he, he, you know, he, he'd, he'd jog, his feet would bleed, you know, you know, again, phenomenal guitar player later in life, you know, um, God blessed him and his wife, um, he ended up with a beautiful wife mm -hmm. and, um, and, uh, with a flourishing business mm -hmm. and, um, Milano. and Milano's coffee. Yeah. yeah. In Vancouver. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and, and this guy who was living in poverty, trying to volunteer his time to help street kids. But, you know, along the journey, he got plagued with uh, rheumatoid arthritis. Mm -hmm. You know, his uh, feet suffered, his hands have suffered. He just, it's interesting. That's a miracle that he can play still as well as he can, even mm -hmm. with his hands subject, the same hands that he used to build Milano's grinding the coffee beans and stuff and making them uh, internationally successful, renowned beans. But, you know, but again, and we're, again, we're friends this day, um, uh, 35 plus years later. Yeah. You know, um, we had a few... Um, uh, times where we, we were out of contact for a number of years but you know but again it, it's just kind of God's plan I remember uh, in um, uh, uh, 2009 um, the city of Vancouver brought me back mm -hmm. to had lead up their drug prevention strategy and, and mm -hmm. to prepare for the 2010 Winter Olympics mm -hmm. uh, that's like you know, if that's not God's sense of humor I don't know what is you know this former kid <laughs> with the you know yeah. gun-toting drug dealer in grade nine now they fly you back you know first class put you up in a five-star hotel and you're there to help launch their city of their city's drug prevention strategy um, to prefer that for the world for the international presence of the Olympics you know yeah but at that point you know Vancouver Sun came and covered a story on me there was in grade 11 and 12 there was a high school teacher that mentored me Fred mm -hmm. Lumpkin um, I, I was functionally literate for most of my school years. Mm -hmm. uh, the school gave up on me. I, I, pretty, I, was, I, I couldn't read, write, do anything properly in school. Mm -hmm. Didn't I wasn't that great. And, um, and uh, the, the word you'd use is functionally literate. I, I knew mm -hmm. the kind of rudiments. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to work them properly. I didn't know how to make them really. I, so I would break all the rules. I didn't know how to, the sequence of how things fit. Right. And, um, and so uh, in grade 11, this high school teacher at Burnaby South High School, Fred Lepkin, my history teacher, mm -hmm. or actually, he was my history teacher in grade 12. In grade 11, I joined a group called Agitprop, which stood for Agitation Propaganda, which was where we used kind of social justice themes to mm -hmm. 
give si um, stuff, uh, positive kinds of messages to the other kids in school. So Fred, between Fred Lepkin, who, by the way, was like a, he was a, I didn't know at the time that he was gay, but, um, but he was Jewish, atheist, mm -hmm. obese, you know, and turned out he was gay. But, you know, just treated me with nothing with kindness and love and compassion. And he, yeah. he essentially taught me to read and, and yeah. become a student. Yeah. And he worked really hard at it with me. And, and, he, and, and, and again, I'm friends with him till this day. He's in his 80s yeah. now. And um, so here, on the one hand, I had this evangelical born-again former rock star Christian. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, I had this other guy. And it just goes to show you that God can use, you know, the, the just and the unjust. Yeah, if, yeah. He can use anybody. I think, you know, I think about Paul says, you know, you've got 10,000 instructors. But yeah. You've got one father. I'm your father in the faith, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, 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 and I think that for a lot of us, we can look back on our school years, whether they were positive or negative, and there'll be one or two, maybe three teachers that just kind of stood out above the pack, and yeah. you knew that something was being imparted to you. Yeah. Uh, and uh, for me, it was uh, my English teacher in grade 11, Mr. Yeah. Alexander, yeah. And, and I fell in love with words. Yeah. You know, and... Uh, and I can think of some other teachers that, um, you know, weren't so uh, weren't so kind mm -hmm. and weren't so uh, influential in a good mm -hmm. way. But so at this point in you know fourteen to eighteen, you're 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 coming to Jesus. Mm -hmm. You're uh, starting to have new positive influences in your life. Mm -hmm. um, things uh, things are looking. Hopeful for you. Well, I'm going to tell you one thing that happened, and, and again, I mean, I didn't. Fred was at school. Mm -hmm. Brian was in the community. Mm -hmm. um, I, I I'm going to be honest. I experienced a lot of racism at church as well. Yeah, I believe that. Okay, yeah. and and that was tough, and 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 um, and and so it, so the racism was in the church. It was at school. Um, but there was this one guy, and it's interesting. You actually remind me a lot of him. You you you, you have the same disposition, and you even kind of look like this guy. Oh. And, and 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 his name was Norm Fuller. I, but I don't want anything bad to happen to you. But I can tell you what happened. I can I can tell you what happened. <laughs> Maybe I'm his evil twin. Maybe you could. No, he was he was a beautiful man, and and he and Norm. Uh, we ended up going to summer camp for with the church PAOC at Western Pentecostal Bible College, mm -hmm. and I remember waking up one night, and here's Norm. Praying and prophesying over me. Wow. While you were sleeping. While I was sleeping. Wow. And I woke up, and this was when I was, I think I would have been about 16 or 17. I don't remember. It was around that time. Mm -hmm. It was it was as I was still on the, you know, going back and forth, walking two, two worlds, living yeah. in two worlds. Yeah. And, and, and Norm was praying over me and prophesying over me. You know, I had similar hair to you, a similar beard, but not without the gray. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's all brown. And, and, <laughs> and, um, and he... I remember just being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is so powerful. And I just, and I, I, I remember leaving camp that year and I was just like, I, I felt like that's when I, I felt like so close to God. I, I yeah. just like, this is powerful. And, and, and. I think that's when your heart was captured? My heart was captured. Yeah. But then what happened is we went back to church, and mm -hmm. I remember just forgiving the guys at church who were still being mean to me, and yeah. you know, and, and stuff. And we played floor hockey. We had a gym in our church, and we played mm -hmm. floor hockey and stuff. And I remember Norm played the game. I don't remember if I played at that game, and um, 
And that was a Sunday. It was about a week and a half after this experience and stuff. And and I remember being really close to God for about maybe a couple of weeks. And and then and then the news hit. He, Norm was riding his motorcycle to work in the rain, mm-hmm. and he just had a baby with his wife. His wife, a beautiful young wife, mm-hmm. and a little beautiful little baby. And um, and he got hit by one car, mm-hmm. bounced off it, went flying into another car, mm-hmm. went flying, and got run over by a third car. Oh. And I remember getting really angry at God. Yeah. So I, here's filled with the Holy Spirit, yeah. and then going from that to being really angry. Yeah. Like, how could you have done this to yeah. this guy yeah. who you just brought into my life, yeah. who was one of the first, like, incredible person influence? And I remember being so broken. And it's a brokenness that kind of I've carried for the rest of my life. I mean, I understand mm-hmm. things happen sometimes. Yeah. I remember it goes back to the whole thing. Well, maybe that's not a bad plan. You know, you're so close to God. You know, just get taken out. You go right to heaven. So yeah. But you know, I, I you know I saw the tragedy of his little wife and his yeah. baby, and and so I remember getting that just destroying me. Yeah. And and um, and uh, and and so uh, you know so again so that being said I I and I went to, to grade eleven twelve go to Burnaby. Um, Christ, uh, Burnaby uh, Secondary School, uh, High School, just uh, Burnaby South, Burnaby South um, Secondary School, for grade 11, 12 year. Dean went there with me too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was interesting. By grade tw- uh, grade eleven, grade I think I ended up getting a Christian club mm-hmm. because my biology teacher, my biology, you know, biology they supposed to teach evolution. Yeah. My biology teacher was a Christian. Yeah. Mr. Canwisher. Mm-hmm. Like, and then and then there was another teacher, Mr. Davies, mm-hmm. and 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 so there were these high school teachers that had this Christian club. I think yeah. I don't even know if they allow Christian clubs in high schools anymore. But they should. Yeah. Because I'll tell you that Christian club made a huge difference for me. Yeah. And because if it wasn't for that Christian club those Christian clubs in the high school, I probably would have gone hardcore back into the drugs and everything else. Yeah. Because it because the temptations were that bad and I did right. start hanging out with some pretty bad kids in, in grade eleven. So there's a transition that came around eighteen nineteen when grade eleven yeah yeah when when you ended up moving to Toronto well after high school yeah. I, had, I had all these incredible and, and I was functionally literate till about grade eleven mm-hmm. and like I said there was this this hyper focused kind of whatever method he used that got me to memorize. I started learning to memorize things. I didn't mm-hmm. understand it. Mm-hmm. So when it came to math, I memorized. When it came mm-hmm. to English, I memorized. When it came to social studies, I memorized. I didn't know how to read, mm-hmm. per se. I just memorized words. Mm. Uh, you know, um, I, and I didn't know how to do the math. I just memorized the equations. Right. So it, it became my, I, and, and so I remember uh, Fred Lepkin at the time saying, your memory is incredibly powerful, which was interesting mm-hmm. because my father, was renowned for his memory. Wow. My father had memorized the the um, the, uh, the I think the the the, the Oxford Dictionary. <laughs> he knew every single word, and he learned it over his lifetime. Like so, he would memorize five words a day. Yeah, and and you know, and my dad used to walk around speaking this impeccable British accent, you know, for a lot of his life. You know, yeah. and 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 he memorized. So so maybe it was something passed on. My mom had a. Well, no, I think my mom's memory wasn't as good. But anyway, uh, but my dad's memory was just incredible, except, you know, the alcohol abuse kind of mm-hmm. degenerated it over time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and that's what my, and that is basically what became my, um, 
the way I ended up learning was because of my ability to memorize stuff. Yeah. Not that I understood phonics or understood math or I never understood anything. I still really don't. I just memorize yeah. stuff. Yeah. And so, um, and my although my memory right now is is not as good anymore, but um, with age, but but you know, but by grade twelve, here was this kid who two years older was barely. Functioning. I don't know why they were passing me in school. Mm-hmm. I ended up with a kind of a B average across the board in grade eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, really flourished in my guitar abilities. Mm-hmm. I took guitar in school and was got mentored with some other kids and started playing with bands and stuff. And then by grade eleven, though, I ended up finishing one of the top history scholarship students in the province of British Columbia. Mm-hmm. And um, I ended up getting a scholarship to go to uh, University of British Columbia. Mm-hmm. But you know, um, unfortunately, a lot of my friends in high school. Uh, my, I carried on with my music. Yeah. Um, I got heart. I think what happened in you know, first year university, I got heartbroken with a girl. Mm. Right. And uh, and so that kind of really messed up my focus. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, you know. And um, but but I also would end up with some friends from high school who were engineers. Mm-hmm. And one thing about engineers is those guys can drink yeah. and never seem to get drunk and still do amazing on their um, exams. Mm. Uh, if you're an art student like I was, mm-hmm. you know, with a focus in history, you go and you try to drink with them, yeah. and um, you end up waking up in the the fountain of the university. <laughs> so, <laughs> I I ended up messing up my scholarship, failing out of first uh, out of university at UBC. Mm-hmm. I was essentially banned from any university in the country for for two years because wow. I had violated my scholarship. I had yeah. gotten like my my GPA was horrible. Like I had to go and redeem myself and then um, the way I end up doing that would be to go to college over time and, mm-hmm. and build myself back up and I would return back to university about eight years later mm-hmm. but 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 the point is or sorry uh, eight, yeah, eight years later so so after Expo 86 Expo mm-hmm. 86 um, came about and, um, and 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 my sister from Toronto I had a half sister from Toronto the same sister who was kidnapped at the age of three Wow, wow. was brought back into my mother's life um, 12 years later wow. as a teenager yeah. she ended up in Toronto mm-hmm. with her father the, the guy who had kidnapped her mm-hmm. and taken her out of the country mm-hmm. and she ended up in Toronto she had actually finished the top um, high school student in Ontario wow. graduating at the age of seven, or 16 or 17 she ended up at U of T in first university I think she was seven, 16 or 17 and this is when he had grade 13 mm-hmm. so she was really smart she was at pharmacy um, but anyway, she ended up uh, quitting and going and getting married and eloping because she wanted to be away from her father. Because again, this guy obviously was a pretty bad guy. I mean, he kidnapped his own daughter. Yeah. <laughs> and so she went and married some guy, got away, married this guy who was like the Erica Strata from Chips oh, yeah. uh, from the old TV yeah. show. And she, so I was, was really enamored with her husband because I go like, you look like the guy I watched on TV. Yeah. You know? <laughs> anyway, but um, uh, she came to a faith in Jesus, independent. Mm-hmm. You know, like my, I think my mom met her and kind of had some influence there, but there was a, it was a longer backstory. But she ended up became a born-again Christian, my, this sister. Mm-hmm. And so she came to visit me in, in grade 12. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a grade 12 or, or it was, no, you know what it was? It was, in, it was in after I had failed out of university or during mm-hmm. that time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she came and, she's, and she could see my life was getting pretty reckless. I, was, I had a motorcycle, I was actively trying to kill myself. I was having... I was having her. I had some a couple of horrific motorcycle accidents. That's another, those are other stories that I won't get too into. Where God literally saved my life. Mm-hmm. There's one motorcycle story where I essentially should have been killed, mm-hmm. um, and um, and it was a miracle how I survived it. Um, but um, 
but I remember getting kicked out of university and just kind of having some Joe jobs, you know, little these young people jobs you get working at 7-Eleven, that kind of thing. And, and, and she said, you know, she came and she goes, God's brought you this far. Mm-hmm. And you're kicking and screaming. I think you need to get away from mom. Why don't you come out to Toronto mm-hmm. and go to Bible college? Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, get your life straight because you need a, a fresh start. You need a reset. And, um, and so I, I guess I've been about, uh, I was still 18. And, um, and, and so I, uh, was I 18? I was a, a Expo 86, so eight, 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 I guess 67. So, um, so basically 18, 19, some, 18 or 19, I think it was 19. And, um, and so I remember we went to this church where I was going to, it was the same um, church for one of the high school Christian uh, teacher leaders. I started going to his church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and um, I remember we went up to the front, and I said, okay. And I remember all my friends saying, what are you doing? Why are you leaving us? Mm-hmm. And, and it was mostly my secular friends. I had some mm-hmm. Christian friends, too. And, but and they were all mad. All my friends were betrayed that I was leaving. Yeah. And I just said, I, I just got to do this for God yeah. and me. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember leaving and, and coming, going to Toronto. My mom was upset. My friends mm-hmm. were upset. And and then that and that started the journey, um, uh, from you know from uh, I say from the from the west to the east. That's your Abrahamic uh, story, eh? Leaving your home country. Yeah, but you know Find something new. Yeah, but but that being said, um, again, God has own his own plan, and um, and uh, but those mentors, um, Brian, to this day, is still in my life. Yeah. Um, Fred, um, Fred uh, Lepkin, the teacher, he is, um, he's still in my life. Mm-hmm. And um, Norm Fuller's still in my heart. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know, and I think without those, those three guys along the journey, uh, one again in the, in the church, one yeah. again um, in the community, one again um, in, in the school. Yeah. And so one of the things I advocate for a lot of kids is they need to have three mentors. Mm-hmm. And it was really funny because later in life, as I get, I got to know uh, Mike uh, Clark, uh, mm-hmm. who became a mentor for me in, in Toronto. Um, he was a former Peel police officer, um, and um, and then he went into youth ministry, or well, he actually was in youth ministry. Then he became a police officer. Then he went back to youth ministry after um, mm-hmm. he was on the force for eight years, and his partner was viciously murdered, um, and Mike was harshly uh, impacted by that. But he went into youth ministry, uh, founded a dam in Miss, uh, worked at Evergreen Young Street Mission, mm-hmm. founded the dam in Mississauga, mm-hmm. then he became an ordained Anglican priest. And that was in his 60s, and we're, we're really close. But he, he actually says you have to have three mentors. But he said this mm-hmm. later. I had, I, I had never really yeah. put, I never really labeled it. Yeah. I experienced it. Yeah. But, but I went through my life kind of saying this in, in many public talks and of the value of mentorship, yeah. But but I, you know, it was really interesting. I never clued in that I had these three mentors: one spiritual, one educational, one community. Right, and and those have been three critical components of your life. Yeah, yeah. You you self described your life as snakes and ladders. Yeah, and uh, things that were critical to navigating through life: mentorship, education. And employment, yeah, and uh, and and the fourth one, 
your faith, your faith in Jesus. It, it sounds like through your life, uh, from those rocky beginnings, that you had to learn how to learn. Well, you have to learn how to learn, and you know, and people throw around the word resilience. Yeah, and um, and and uh, I guess from an academic or a kind of a pseudo scientific or social scientific um, definition. The word resilience basically says an innate human characteristic of strength mm. that allow and and that allows or uh, or enables or facilitates a person mm -hmm. to be able to overcome adversity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And 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 what I don't like about that is um, even as as myself as a social scientist, I don't I don't like the fact that it, it makes it seem like we have some element of superhumanness in within us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And as though it's just magically there. You know, some people are... Now, don't get me wrong. Some people, like I'll give you a concussion as an example. Um, you can be a real big guy, you know, uh, like maybe like the Lindrosses, mm -hmm. but maybe they, they were really prone to concussion. Mm -hmm. Like, so there, there's obviously some kind of genetic or biological predisposition. So some people, it's not about how big you are. It's about how much um, brain fluid or, or gel fluid you have right. between your, your brain and your skull. Right. If you have maybe... You can be a small guy. You have more of it. So you could take more hits playing hockey and you're, you're, you're less vulnerable to a concussion yeah. because it's protecting you more. You could be a big guy but have less fluid between your brain and your skull right. and right. then all of a sudden you get more, eat, eat more access to brain So shape. there's a physiological element to resilience uh, and your ability to uh, you know, withstand, I well, guess. Well, we can say that, yeah. but again, my point is, I, the point is that God creates us all. Yeah. yeah. So my point is whatever it is, it's God-given yeah. to greater or lesser degrees. And God says, you know, just like he gives faith to greater or lesser degrees to people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I believe that we're all, we all have phys physiological predispositions and, and resilience. We all have a, a, a kind mm -hmm. of, we, we can have this capacity. Um, but my point is, I believe it's God-given. Mm -hmm. You know, it's within our genetics, it's within our biological code, but it's, you know, it's not just something innate that's born within us and it's evolutionary, is yeah. what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And so, so I think we need to say that, um, Aspects of resilience, at the end of the day, are tied back to the fact we're creations of God, and mm -hmm. sometimes we have a little bit more, sometimes we have a little bit less, and say, well, isn't that unfair of God that he might give one person less resilience mm -hmm. um, than the other person? Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think the Bible answers that. It says, you know, God gives each person that's what they need mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to live their life. Right. If that makes sense, and and then, but you say, well, what about people who aren't born with some factor, or they're born disabled in some way? Well, again, the Bible answers that. It said it's so that other people can show God's love to those yeah. people. Yeah. See, so so it's not, and so like, who sinned? Who sinned? Why is this person disabled? The mother, the father, or the person? No, it's so that God's glory can be revealed. Right. So I honestly believe that when there's people who are suffering a detriment or who are lacking in resilience, mm -hmm. then it's up to the Christian community, or it should be, to make intervention for those people. Right. Like Norm did for me and Brian did for me. Yeah. Right? And then God might use somebody who's outside of the faith, like yeah. uh, to, use, to use for his purposes as well, like he did with my teacher Fred Lepkin. Mm -hmm. So I guess this is basically, um, the, the idea isn't always about the individual, it's about the community. Yeah. And, and so we have to, um, and so, so now it's interesting because, um, uh, you know, later in life, I, I was the primary author of the Social Terms of Health Framework for Urban Youth, um, which got up, with, it was, had an uptake with um, 
uh, then the Minister of State Public Health, Dr. Carolyn Bennett, mm-hmm. um, to be used as a kind of a framework to help inform mm-hmm. um, these kinds of dialogues across the country and benchmarks. And um, one of the things um, it, it, that I was shaped by as I wrote the Terms of Health Framework with my co-investigator, Dr. Carol Stewart, who was the head of child and youth work at the time at the same university where I was working, um, she was really influenced by a, a guy who actually graduated with his PhD about two or three years before me at Wilfrid mm-hmm. Laurier, Michael Unger, who's a professor at Dalhousie, and he his expertise it was in it was in um, resilience. But but one of the things that he brought to the discussion of resilience is he said it's not necessarily just innate; it can actually be fostered and conditioned by right. the environment. Yeah, yeah. The the myth that things are hardwired into us. Yeah, you know that no, you actually have some. Uh, adaptability and, yeah. and you can learn and you can be resilient. conditioned yeah and yeah. so and so and if you look at some of my resilience maybe a lot of it may have been fostered mm-hmm. by just these small and, and one thing we also know is interventions don't have to be big to make a difference they can be little yeah so it's that old that old like like, like a guy who's who's praying over your sleeping body yeah and it had a profound influence influence on yeah. you. You know, you can if you if you change the direction, you're leaving the port of New York to go to London, but you mm-hmm. change your setting one degree, one degree to the south, you end up in a completely different place. Right, That's right. You know, That's right. and yeah. so and so and the, the, you know, there's other little things. You know, an ounce mm-hmm. of prevention is better than the pound of cure. So yeah. so for me, I, I and again, I've had my own um, experiences where I've just done something innocuous, write a reference letter to get a kid into a certain program. Mm-hmm. I had one of my students who graduated from Tyndale University, for example, and mm-hmm. I wrote a reference letter for her, um, you know, to go to do her, B- her professional degree in social work after. She ended up going to UBC, my mm-hmm. old alma, alma mater yeah. where I got kicked out of. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny, you know, I got kicked out of a, I mean, again, God's sense of humor. Oh yeah. I, I was kicked out of university and banned from any university in the country yeah. in um, in about in in, uh, in 1986. Yeah. And um, by two thousand two thousand and six, I was uh, so um, what is that? Twenty years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twenty years. Later, I, I was um, I was I was featured on the front cover of Okufa magazine, which is the Ontario Confederation of University Faculty Associations, which represents all the faculties of, 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 in Ontario yeah. of like 14,000 professors. Yeah. And I was named one of the top three professors in Ontario yeah. under the age of 40. That's God's style, isn't it? Yeah. Take, take the least likely yeah. and say, oh, I'll use that one. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's like and again. My mom always had this line: "God has that sense of humor." Yeah, and so so I don't take it as this sign of you know um, pride or I I just say it's like it's it's hilarious. Yeah, and um, and and so anyway, to make a long story short, I, I you know look, my life is, is has never been perfect, and it yeah. continues even to not be perfect till this day. Yeah, I you know I um I I'm a I'm a product of um, God's um, um God, grace. Mm-hmm. And then after I violated his grace time and time again, mm-hmm. I encounter his mercy. Mm-hmm. And after I violate his mercy time and time again, I'm still a product of his, as his hope for who he wants me to be, for his purpose. You are his beloved. And you know, it's yeah. funny you use that word because that is the word that Michael Clark, my, my, one of my mm-hmm. mentors today in, in, the, in Ontario, who's been a mentor of mine in Ontario for probably the last 30 years, mm-hmm. um, he always calls, he always uses, we're all mm-hmm. God's beloved. 
Yeah, yeah. Any calls to sleep on Well, Anthony, I want to I want to thank you so much for uh, opening up uh, your heart and letting it come out your mouth today. You uh, you say many things that uh, give us a lot lot to think about when it comes to you know God's power to to change a life, uh, but also. Uh, you know, I think for Christians who are listening to the podcast, to um, to maybe sometimes reframe how they think towards people that others might say, "Oh, they're write-offs." Mm-hmm. You know, you you could have been written off so many times, and yet, in God's uh, mercy and God's grace, mm-hmm. uh, there were people that came like Jesus mm-hmm. to you. Um, and, and also thank you for uh, taking uh, uh, our producer, uh, Bill Riley, and I out for uh, dinner last night. Oh, that it was good was, food. That was good Lebanese. Good so, Lebanese. And also, yeah. But, you know, and the last thing, one thing I wanted to say is when it comes to faith in Jesus, and I, I heard this from a kid I worked with a long time ago, and this kid was wise beyond his years. It's, he said, whatever we go through and experience in life, mm-hmm. no matter how difficult or hard, um, the old adage, you know, of course, the God can take bad and turn it for good for his purpose. Mm-hmm. But our past doesn't have to predict our future. That's it. And yeah. one of the things we do in clinical is we're always looking at a person's past behavior. Mm-hmm. Because we want to be able to predict their mm-hmm. future. Mm-hmm. That is a deterministic, social scientific um, curse. Mm-hmm. Because it makes no provision for what the transformative power of God in a person's life. Right. And so when we look at, well, you know, whatever that person, and again, you, you see it with police where they, they say, ah, oh, you know, once, a, once a, a, a thief, always a thief. Right. right. And, and but, but, you know, I've become, I'm a firm believer that one, a, per, a person's past doesn't have to predict their future. No. But I think the caveat to that is it's even more powerful when God's involved. Because at yeah. the end, but at the end of the day, I'm a doctor of psychosocial clinical practice. I treat anxiety, depression, trauma, all this kind of stuff. Now I work with as a university professor. We can give intervention, mm-hmm. but only God, only Jesus can provide transformation Yeah, from the inside yeah. out. And so our past need not predict our future. Our past has this tremendous gravity upon us yeah. to, to pull us down. Yeah. Uh, but um, the uh, transcendent, God that we follow in Jesus has this anti-gravity effect to actually lift us, yeah. cause us to rise. Yeah. And uh, yeah, well, thank you so much for uh, uh, being with us today. Yeah. And, and, and I feel like we're scratching the surface. We're going to have to have you back for another episode one of well, these days. As long as we can go out for Lebanese food before. You got it, and, and maybe next <laughs> next time you you come down to Windsor, and uh, we'll it'll be our treat. Yeah. So. God bless you. Thanks. God bless Peter. you. Thank you, Tony. You are His beloved. That's a message that can change a gangbanger into a change maker. One thing that we can learn from people like Tony is that young men and women who are caught up in gang activity are not always hopeless cases doomed to fail. Unfortunately, for for many of them, uh, violence and incarceration will be on the path ahead. 
That's why we're doing this series of gangland preachers. We need to see how we can engage in change in our urban centers. On our next episode, we're going to interview E.J. Toupe. E.J. and his family live in downtown Toronto, where he connects with young men and women caught up in cycles of homelessness, addiction, and crime. He is, in my estimation, a tour guide to hope, leading people one by one to a better place in life. And that episode drops on June 1st. And believe me when I tell you, E.J. Toupe has a story to tell. He has many stories to tell. And until then, keep one ear to the sky and another ear to the ground in your city. I'm Kevin Rogers, and this is Sidewalk Skyline Podcast.